And as we slow down and start to do some of that inner processing, we get to really touch in with, oh, wow, this is like part of the root of my anxiety, you know? And Hello, and welcome to the Anxious and Ambitious podcast. I'm your host, Nicole, and I'm on a mission to change the way that we think about anxiety. Oftentimes, it can feel like anxiety can get in the way of our ambitions, and I'm here to tell a different story. In each episode, we'll explore how we can manage our anxiety, heal our nervous system, and conquer our fears so we can shine as our most authentic self, go after our biggest dreams, and achieve our greatest ambitions. You'll hear stories from people who have been there themselves and strategies from experts who can help you thrive. Are you ready? Let's do this. Today's guest is Manisha Terr. Manisha is a somatic healing practitioner and mentor for highly sensitive and empathic women who have people-pleasing tendencies and want support to prioritize their well-being, set better boundaries, and be less affected by others' emotions and actions. Through a combination of trauma-informed healing modalities and mentoring, she supports her clients to heal their nervous systems so they can confidently ask for what they need and feel worthy of amazing relationships. She started her career as an occupational therapist working with children and over the years began teaching yoga and meditation and expanded to practicing craniosacral therapy and integrating somatic work to help other people in releasing the impact of trauma on their health and mental well-being. In this conversation, we dive into so many things around how you can heal your nervous system and truly thrive as a sensitive woman from setting better boundaries to communicating your needs in relationships to using somatic work to heal and regulate your nervous system. So without further ado, let's dive into the conversation. Manisha, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat today. Yeah, I'm so excited for this conversation. I've been loving listening to your podcast as well as your Instagram. So I have so many questions for you. But I'd really love to start off by hearing a little bit about your journey from being an occupational therapist working with children to now being more of like a somatic healing practitioner and mentor for those highly sensitive women. Mm, Yeah. um, Yeah. Thank you for asking. I, um, you know, I got into occupational therapy because I actually observed somebody working with kids and I just thought, oh my gosh, this would be such a fun thing to do because I saw them playing with them and like supporting them. And I've always loved working with kids. And so that's sort of how I entered into this field. And as I continued on in it, working with children, I worked with a lot of kids, like really young kids. My area specialty was like birth to three and or up to five. And so I was like working with really young kids, developing nervous systems. And as I was working with them, a lot of sensory issues. So I was like fascinated with the nervous system right away. And Um, As I continued on with that work, I kept sort of thinking like, okay, I'm doing these other therapeutic things that are certainly helpful, but like, how can I get into their nervous system a little bit more? Because like, there's something going on with the way they're like processing information. And I think like looking back, I definitely didn't know it at the time, but looking back, I, I mean, I've always been highly sensitive and I think that's really what I was picking up on when I was trying to figure out like, how can I get a little bit deeper to support these kids? And you know, very long journey, cut a little bit short. I 
um, as I continued with this work, I started studying a kind of body work called craniosacral therapy. And that is more of an osteopathic technique, but we're really working to support and regulate the nervous system when we do that work. And so when I started practicing, I was actually working with adults because, you know, we would want to work with adults before working with children. And I was seeing such amazing things happening with adults because as we started to support them to regulate their nervous systems, they felt safe enough to allow some of these old experiences and traumas to come up that they hadn't really allowed themselves to fully process before. And so I kind of switched over to working with adults. I mean, after like 15 years of working with kids, so it, it was a journey, um, but because I just was so um, amazed really at like how, when we work with the nervous system in that way, we can really start to unearth these, these issues that maybe we've suppressed for a long time. And I had kind of been going through my own personal healing journey. Like I think many of us do when we come to our work. Um, so that's sort of how that happened, like the transition to adults. And then, um, a few, like maybe nine years after that, I started, I actually moved across the country. And so I didn't have an in-person bodywork practice anymore. So I kind of translated all of my work to be online. <laughs> so wow. it ended up being like taking all of these somatic trainings, um, and then supporting people online. And as a highly sensitive person, it's just like who I attracted. So it was sort of like, I attracted what I knew and then supported um, it into just supporting women that way. So yeah, it's definitely been a journey, but it's, yeah, it's, it's all about the nervous system really at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's so cool. I love how it really came full circle, um, both in the professional aspect and mm -hmm. also in your personal life, how both sort of came together to get you to where this work that you're doing. Mm -hmm. I think that's awesome. And I love that you focus on working with the nervous system because I think for a lot of us who have anxiety, we do a lot of cognitive work, but you have to also as well get into the nervous system to really feel those results. So for you as a highly sensitive person, what do you find has been the most helpful for you personally in managing anxiety, emotions, your nervous system, all of that? Yeah, it's um it's it's definitely been a process. I started actually studying yoga as well, like as as a pretty like maybe right out of college and taking yoga classes and then becoming an instructor. And I mentioned that because that was kind of my first entry into just really tuning into my own body and noticing like what was going on there. Because I think when we have those sensations of anxiety, we can immediately go into our heads and go to overthinking and self-doubt and kind of really tuning into like what others' perceptions are of us. And we kind of lose our sense of ourselves. And so for me, I think any practice that helps bring you back into your body, and it was yoga in my case, um, is really key to starting that process of shifting some of that extra focus that we have on everybody else and like what they might be thinking and feeling and sensing to actually, well, what am I thinking and feeling and sensing and making more contact with that? 
Mm, yeah, I love that how yoga particularly helped you get into your body to begin with. And I think this idea of getting into the body is something that we oftentimes talk about with regards to, you know, mindfulness, yoga, but especially when you are highly sensitive and you're caught up in those emotions, sometimes it can feel overwhelming to want to get into your body because you don't want to sit with those feelings and with those sensations. So what would you say to somebody who's sort of just starting out with moving from mainly being into their head to actually getting into their body? Yeah, I get that question a lot. And I think that when we are able to maybe initially combine movement with mindfulness, that can be really helpful, like walking in nature um, or just walking down the street or in a park, but, you know, with no headphones, like not on the phone, like just allowing ourselves to be a little bit quiet, but maybe but maybe being in an environment where it's not just like I'm sitting in a dark room trying to feel my feelings, you know, like we don't want to go from one extreme to the other. So I really recommend things like walking and there's lots of really beautiful movement practices. I mean, you could go to a yoga class, right? Because you're in a group environment, you're not there on your own, maybe allowing yourself to tune in and feel some things like not necessarily by yourself can be, Uh, supportive or there's other practices like Tai Chi or really, really beautiful practices where I think we can combine movement with this, uh, with tuning into our sensations that can ease us into perhaps doing more of a traditional meditation though. I don't know that that's like required, right? Like I think everybody has their own way. Um, And I think that it's really helpful to, to be able to even be with another person, you know, like to help you co-regulate if that's a term, maybe your, your listeners are familiar with, you know, sometimes I, I've really been thinking about this a lot lately. I I think it's so important for us to learn our own ways of self-soothing, but sometimes I think we're in such a hyper-independent society that we like forget that actually being with another person who's feeling grounded and centered can actually be a really beautiful way to also help find our centers and then be able to slowly make the transition to like being able to do that on our own more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I love that you mentioned even the movement as well, because I think for a lot of us, it's hard to put that conscious mind or the ego or whatever you want to call it aside to really be present in the moment. Mm -hmm. So incorporating movement can give your body and your brain something to do while also getting into that flow state. Mm -hmm. And the idea of having someone else around who maybe is a couple steps ahead of you so that you can co-regulate with their nervous system. I know that's been huge for me, but we haven't actually talked about co-regulation much on this podcast. So I'd love if you could maybe give like a brief explanation of how you would describe co-regulation and why it's so important. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the the way I really think about it is um, everyone's state, we're all in a different state at different times. So I I would even just say it doesn't necessarily have to be someone who's ahead of you, but in that moment, they are feeling more grounded and centered, right? And and, and it certainly could be like a practitioner or therapist or, or something else who's been doing this work for a longer time. But I think there's such a power in um, almost like attuning our nervous systems to somebody else's who's already feeling grounded. And that's what I think about as co-regulation. Like, so you can do things for yourself to self-soothe and to help you kind of come down and take the edge off. But if you're around somebody who has like more of a calm energy or somebody who in that moment is very grounded, 
you can start to attune to that person's energy. And I think we see that really naturally, like with kids, you know, if, if a child is having a tantrum, if a parent can really soothe them and hold them and kind of support them, you'll see them slowly, you know, start to calm down. I think we, we see that with, you know, even with our own, in our own relationships, you know, in a partnership of like one person is just like feeling really calm in that moment, someone else could come and be like, okay, like now I can take a deep breath and, and relax because you have that support there. And I especially think this is so um, important for people who are highly sensitive to like be with the right, uh, and I'm using quotes you can't see, but with the right people when you co-regulate because because we attune so quickly that if we're with people that are actually like more ungrounded or really frenetic or really all over the place, like you've probably attuned to that person too. And it's like really left you feeling like in not such a good place. So it, it's sort of like the, the co-regulation, like we want to think of it as, um, yeah, really attuning to somebody who already has kind of a grounded presence in that moment. Right. Yeah. And I like that you mentioned that kids do that naturally because I find it so interesting that as we get older, you know, especially those of us who are anxious and ambitious and highly sensitive want to be like hyper independent. So it can be difficult sometimes for people to even reach out to say, can you just come and sit with me? Even something as simple as that, or if they want more than that. And I know that you help people navigate this in their relationships that they can sort of ask for their needs in a way that doesn't feel selfish. So mm-hmm. what would you say to somebody who, who, you know, maybe recognizes the importance of asking for help, but struggles to actually do that? Mm, yeah, th- it's such a good question because it's so nuanced. Um, I think that, well, the first place I usually go with people, if they're feeling that way, like sometimes people come and they say, you know, I feel like maybe I need too much or I've been called needy, or I've been called too sensitive. And so they're already primed in that way to, to, to back up, to like not ask because they just like, don't want to be called those things again. And it's maybe feels shameful to do that. And so first of all, I think recognizing that as human beings, we have needs and maybe being called needy is not the worst thing because we're humans. Like we need things, like we need things to survive. Right. So just like reframing that in our minds can be a first step, you know, and then of course I know there's those, those pieces where people can feel like, like they need too much in the sense of maybe they feel very easily overwhelmed by other people or emotions. And they, they feel like they're constantly going to somebody else, like for that support or that reassurance. And like, that's, the edge, right? Where we want to start to notice like, okay, well, yes, I have needs and I'm human. And, but maybe these ways in which I'm expressing them may perhaps might be overwhelming this other person that I'm with kind of depending on what their story is and their history is. Um, And at the same time, just really tuning into like, what are some of my, um, excuse me, what are some of my own values like around being there for others and wanting others to be there for me. So that can be something to think about. Another thing I I have people think about are list all of your needs and then start to think about which ones can I start to help myself with? Like, where can I 
give these things to myself, or maybe I've been asking someone else to do that. And, and maybe that's not fair in some cases, you know, maybe that is a little bit like extra or too, or too much, because I really want to be able to do that for myself. And then once you get really clear on that, it's really easy to start to see, well, okay, this is what I could do for myself, but this is like what I want a partner to be able to do for me. And so when we can start to recognize what our own values are, you know, know that we're doing our own work to like support ourselves in a way that's healthy, then we can really be more confident in asking somebody else. And, you know, if they come back with this thing of like, that's too much, or, you know, you can have that conversation or it might just be like, okay, well, maybe there's something going on here bigger, right. That we have to really talk about Um, because I am a human with needs and there's just certain things that I do want in a relationship and that's okay. Right. For sure. I love that you emphasize like also communicating those needs because Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we're either afraid to ask or we end up assuming that the other person should just know because we know. And especially as a highly sensitive person who's usually more attuned to the needs of other people, sometimes I find, you know, we might be like, well, why didn't you come and check on me when I was feeling down there? Or why didn't you do X, Y, Z? And I think it's important, like you said, to communicate those needs that you can create those strong relationships. And I also like that you mentioned, you know, maybe some of these tasks can be taken on by yourself. And this isn't to say that you have to shoulder everything, but sometimes it can be more beneficial when we are able to, to sort of take that role on ourselves and, and do the inner healing And, um, I think one of those times is really for self-soothing, especially if you're in a situation where you don't have somebody that you can lean on. Mm -hmm. So what would you say are some productive ways that someone could self-soothe on their own? Mm. Yeah. I mean, if you're able to step out of the energy that you're in, I find that a a lot of times when we're feeling anxious or overwhelmed or, or activated, you know, there's maybe a person around or some situation like, like that we're in the middle of that's activating that. So if the one is able to, if they could even just step out and like take a quick walk around the block or get some fresh air or drink some water to step out of that energy, I think, especially for someone who's highly sensitive and runs and, and sort of has an, um, runs a little bit anxious. Part of that is picking up on so much of our environment. And so, yeah, one simple thing is I think to step out of that environment that's maybe contributing to that, get some fresh air, get some water. The Another thing that I think it probably is, is obvious, but I'll say it anyway, is like taking some deep breaths <laughs> because it's so common for our breath to get shallow, for us like not to even realize what's happening with our breath, for all the muscles in our like shoulders or neck to start to tense up. So can you step? out of the room? Can you go into a bathroom stall? If you're in a public place, can you go somewhere where you can kind of just like shake your body a little bit and take some deep breaths and almost like feel like you're releasing that energy like out of your system? I think that can be a quick way to kind of shift your physiological state. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Those are some great ideas, you know, removing yourself from the situation. I think the importance of breath cannot be overstated. We always forget to breathe. And, you know, especially when you're in those heightened situations, it's important to remember like, how is my breath and how can I get back into Mm -hmm. that, um, that space in in the chest and open it up. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and along those lines of, of leaving a situation, I would say it's also important that you're, you're not 
purposely or when possible, putting yourself in situations that cause you those excessive feelings. Um, but especially as like high achievers or people who want to do it all, it can sometimes be hard to say no. And mm. I love how you really help like highly sensitive women to set those boundaries that they can have success in their life and their relationships. But also these boundaries can be a little bit um, tough to implement sometimes. So mm -hmm. why would you say boundaries are so important, especially for someone who's anxious and ambitious? Mm. Yeah, I think they're important for so many reasons, but one is really to like for energetic purposes, because I think that as somebody who's anxious, if you are picking up on a lot from other people, like be, being able to create like a physical boundary. Um, and when I say physical, like yes, distance, but I like to kind of talk about physical, but then I also like to talk about energetic boundaries and with the energetic boundaries, it's like, okay, can I be with this person or in this room that's maybe like creating a little bit of anxiety for me because of pressure and, and it doesn't have to be bad pressure right it could be like exciting pressure or like especially if you're ambitious and you're working towards something mm -hmm. but when we're talking about some of these boundaries it's like how can I get really connected to my own center how can I breathe how can I almost like imagine that I'm fortifying myself within so that as you know you can use a visualization like if you're breathing can I fill my whole body with breath and then can I let the breath expand a couple of inches out so that I have like my like little bubble and I'm still here and I'm engaging but I'm not like taking in or on like all of this other energy from other people so I think that's that's one like one reason that's so important is because we do pick up and we can end up um, absorbing a lot from other people, which can heighten our anxiety. So that's really one thing. But I, I just kind of want to back up for a second because you asked me like why it's so important. But I, I also just want to share this one piece around why I think it might be hard also for people to mm -hmm. set the boundary. And it's often because it can be uncomfortable when we might feel like we're disappointing somebody or somebody might get upset or mad when we're setting a particular boundary. And I think in and of itself, maybe that doesn't feel so great, right? If we're wanting to build a relationship and we think someone might be upset with us. But additionally, what I have found is that as somebody who's sensitive, if you can pick up on someone else's energy, like you might already feel kind of bad for saying no, but then you can also feel like their feelings about it. And so you're sort of have this like double whammy going on of like your own feelings and then their feelings. And I think that's really underpins so much of why it's hard for, for people who are on the sensitive side to do that. And so one of the biggest antidotes to that or like things that I support people with is like, how do you work with your nervous system and learn how to sit with discomfort? Because setting boundaries will be uncomfortable. But if you can learn how to tolerate that level of discomfort and just be like, okay, like this is really uncomfortable, but I'm so practiced in feeling like uncomfortable things in my body. I can just like, let this be and not have to grasp and not have to try to fix it. And then over time, it, it will decrease for sure and diminish over time. It's like a muscle you have to build. 
Yeah, that's so smart. And I love that you mentioned that boundaries and nervous system work are kind of intertwined because I think mm -hmm. a lot of the time when we think of boundaries, we really think of just those physical things of like, no, I'm setting this strict schedule. You know, I'm only working this many hours a day, or I'm only going to this many things. I'm going to say no, if it's not a hell yes, or whatever yes. these strategic <laughs> things are, but you can have all those strategies and, and then get to the point where you know that you have to say no from your values, but you just mm -hmm. can't get the words out. Mm -hmm. And I think also a lot of the reason that this is the case for highly sensitive people is oftentimes we're also people pleasers. Yeah. Um, and I know people pleasing is something else that I've heard you talk about. So why do you mm -hmm. feel like people pleasing is such a common theme among highly sensitive people? You know, I think it really goes back to being able to tune into other people's feelings and sensations. And when we can sense or anticipatory disappointment or frustration potentially coming from somebody else and not necessarily coming from them at us, because, you know, if you're in a, a healthy relationship or you're talking to people who care about your well-being, if you say no for whatever reason, hopefully they'll understand, right? Like, in, in an ideal world, they're not going to like be yelling at you, but, if, but they might be disappointed or they might be frustrated or they might have to figure something else out or, you know, whatever the story is. And I really think a lot of it is, yeah, just feeling like I, feeling that heightened sensation of our own um, disappointment, our own like fear around hurting somebody or upsetting somebody, and then also kind of sensing into their feelings. I think another piece to this is around people-pleasing is really also about, and this can vary, I'm pausing just because I, I feel like this can vary, but I think we also, you know, as people who are sensitive, care about being, you know, caring people and kind people. And I think we've also been socialized to think that if we say no, or if we don't agree, or we don't help immediately, like that, maybe that doesn't like make us a quote unquote good person. And so I invite people to really think about that identity for themselves. That's something that I have definitely worked with and it still will pop up, you know, because you want to be helpful. Like you want, you know, you don't want to say no, like if someone's struggling, you want to be there, but I think prioritizing ourselves can be seen as selfish and a little taboo. And I just think that as women, it's something that we just continue to work with in society. So I think it can be an inner challenge with our nervous system, but I also think it's just something that from the outside cultural perspective, it's something to really think about too. And like, what's your identity and what do you think is like a good person and, and all of those types of things. Right. Yeah. And you're so right. It definitely, it leads into identity, you know, be wanting to be a good mom or be a good, a good girl. Right. A lot of us as, yeah. as young kids are told to be a good girl, sit there, you know, be quiet, go along with the things. And especially too, if you grew up in like a turbulent type of home situation, then oftentimes we use people pleasing as this way to avoid situations that we don't um, want to be in, like such as conflict. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know for people who are anxious and ambitious, oftentimes these conflicts in general can be overwhelming, right? Because you, you feel the feelings of that other person. Plus you heightenedly feel what you're feeling in this high energy situation, which creates a conflict. Mm -hmm. So I can imagine, you know, 
being able to control your nervous system, this is huge in, in being able to navigate conflict, I would say, right? So how do you exactly help your clients to learn to regulate their nervous system in these times where they know that they feel uncomfortable, whether that be you know, conflict or a high pressure situation? Yeah, that's such a great question. And I, I just want to make a quick comment on what you said about the you know early life and maybe like a, a turbulent upbringing. And I've definitely worked with many clients who, you know, they they wouldn't necessarily identify what they experienced as trauma, but they really grew up in a in a household where maybe there was like just fighting like amongst the parents, or there was divorce and the kids were shuffled back and forth, or, or there was just like something where they couldn't control it. And as children that was internalized and it was sort of like, well, if I can be good and quiet, then I will be somehow like aiding, helping this situation. Right. Or I won't get in trouble. I won't make it worse. Or maybe it's my fault. Right. Like when you're a kid, you have no idea. Like, and you're just like taking all of it in and internalizing it. So thank you for bringing that up because I, I think that depending on what people's situations and backgrounds and early upbringing was, that is always a contributor and we might not always recognize it because I think that sometimes when we think of trauma, we think of really big things that might've happened. And we might not think of like being in a household where parents were fighting all the time, you know, it's like, okay, well, if you're a highly sensitive kid, like you might've internalized that in the same way that somebody else might've internalized maybe something different that happened like or or more dramatic I should say you know I I hate to it's all relative so you know I don't hate on any of it yeah no that's such a good point and I like that you brought up that idea of trauma because I really truly believe all of us have experienced some kind of trauma in our life I mean all of us started our life in a womb right a a warm safe place (laughs) and then entered in some way into this chaotic big world. And even that is in itself some sort of a trauma. And I think like you hold a lot of that trauma in your nervous system, right? And and sometimes these nervous system reactions that you're having are actually ones from back when you were a kid. So mm-hmm. I really love that you you work with this nervous system thing. So to circle back to my like sort <laughs> yeah. of long-winded yeah. question, yeah, what, yeah, would no, you, what would you say are like some ways that you work with your clients to help them in in managing their nervous system? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that back. Yeah. So um, my specific way, and I'll describe this, but but I can share some things that people can kind of do on their own too. But my specific way is like, say someone comes into a session and they have had a recent trigger of something. It could be with their partner. It could be at work. It could be in any relationship where they are really feeling um, triggered, maybe out of their body, maybe they're having some symptoms of like dissociation where they have brain fog and, and all of that. So what we do is that they'll share the situation and then we drop into like a body-based practice or a meditation where I guide them into their bodies, feel like super gently. And I invite them to just share what happened like in the current moment, you know, from this place of feeling more grounded. And because I'm with them, we're, we're co-regulating, right? So I am helping them come into a more grounded state by being present with them, by listening, by reflecting what they're saying. And as they drop into that state, what will often happen is, you know, I'll invite them, what's the sensation you're feeling? What's going on there? Tell me more. And so as they drop into that so, so often something will come up in their, like through their subconscious of like some old experience that occurred that 
reminds them like this is it's like a trigger of some old experience. And so, yes, perhaps this current situation definitely was upsetting for some reason, but when they are having a heightened response to that, it's often because of something that's been unresolved. And so that's how we really are able to get to the root of issues like quite quickly, instead of like talking about them extensively. Certainly there's some talking or trying to remember them because we're not going to remember them, you know, like if we're like, oh, let me think of all the reasons why I might be reacting like this in this moment. I mean, you could sit there for hours, but when we drop into the body, like our bodies can, can give us the answer. And it gives us the answer, especially when we're in like a safely held space. So that's like sort of the quickest path. And I'm not saying the work overall is quick necessarily, right? Like, cause everybody's nervous system is different and past experiences are different. So you really want to honor for the timelines for people, but in those moments when they are connected and feeling safe, um, that's one of the ways that I work with people to get to that. And what that does is like, first it brings whatever like memory, suppressed memory is to the surface and they can link it. They, they can say, oh my gosh, this thing that happened when I was four, like somebody yelled at me, like in passing, you know, it doesn't, it could be benign, like relatively speaking, but it got um, internalized in some way. And they realize the connection of, oh my gosh, like, yeah, that's why I get so nervous when I have to say something because I think maybe I will get yelled at if I say this thing or if I say what I need. And so making that connection and being in their bodies in a way that they're like almost rewiring their nervous system, right? Like mm -hmm. getting calmer as they're like relaying the story and remembering the experience, you're just changing how it presents in your in your body. And so the next time that happens, you might still feel a twinge certainly, but it doesn't necessarily have the same amount of charge. And because you've made that connection, you can be like, oh, I'm getting a little nervous. Like, oh yeah. Okay. I remember because it's that thing. Okay. Like, let me come down. It's not really this thing that's happening in the moment. It's this other thing. So, so we work together, right. With the conscious and the subconscious, and we get to this place where we can feel more grounded and we're changing our physiology at the same time. Mm, I love that how you how you guide them into their body to to sort of seek almost their own inner wisdom because yeah. I, I'm with you I truly believe that our body has all the answers and we just have to sort of get in tune enough with it so I like how you co-regulate with them to help them get into that space so that we can become mm -hmm. less triggered in the future and actually respond rather than react exactly exactly yeah. Yeah. I think that's huge. Cause for so many of us, it's like, well, I'm in this situation and I feel overwhelmed or I feel anxious. <laughs> well, why? Right. Do you feel in danger? It's like, well, no, but it's this overwhelming feeling and I can't name it. So yeah. I love that importance of, of naming it. And, and truly, I believe it all is energetic. So how would you say like awareness, would you say like the awareness piece of this is a huge part of it? Like becoming aware of when it got picked up? Um, I, yeah, and I do think it's really important and, you know, it's, I love that you asked this question because I think at one point I would have said, well, you don't necessarily need to know. And I don't think you actually need to know the whole stories of things, but I do think as, especially as like smart, like ambitious people, like we want to know things, right? So I think there's like a part of our brain that just like wants to understand something. 
Um, so I think the awareness part kind of feeds that part and not that we have to like, remember I was this age and this happened and all these people were in the room and this, you know, so that for sure, like, and you don't have to talk about the whole thing. You don't have to get into all of the details, but I think there's a part for our brains, especially that love to overthink and analyze that like just wants that little nugget. And I find that making that connection quiets that part so that we can almost like drop into the, into our bodies and sort of do that repair work in a way where, yeah, that piece is satisfied. Mm, Yeah. No, I love that. So what would you say are some ways that um, someone could practice getting into their body in this way more on their own if they didn't have somebody to do it with? Yeah, I think touch is really important for this. So I would invite someone to, if they're feeling anxious, usually, you know, if we place a hand like on our heart or on our belly, or, you know, maybe there's somewhere else for you and your body. Since if you're sitting, it could just be like really placing your hands on your lap and like feeling the weight on your thighs, but some way where you can feel your own contact. And so that can help you self-soothe right away, right? Like if a a little kid again is like crying or tantruming and like they're able to get, you're able to get close to them. Sometimes like giving them a hug or like a tight squeeze can be so powerful, right? And and just helping them feel the edges of their own body. Um, And it kind of comes back to like when you're feeling triggered and anxious, sometimes you kind of dissociate, right? Like you leave your body, you're like, I don't know where I am. And so just like that kind of physical touch can really help, uh, help us feel the edges of our own body. Um, so that would say that that's number one, if you're really in a state where you're just like, oh my God, I'm so overwhelmed or something like that. If you're, if you've done that and you're feeling like you're in a little bit of a more calm place, then I would still invite you to like rest your hands somewhere and breathe a little bit more deeply and start to feel like, what's happening in your body? Like, are you feeling tightness somewhere? Are you feeling tension? Are you feeling a lump in your throat? Are you feeling tears behind your eyes? Like just start to, to really be with like what's happening. And I find that when we can sit for a few minutes with what's really happening and not trying to push it down or, or say to ourselves, like, don't be upset or you can't cry or, you know, this is not worth it. Or, you know, all the things that sometimes like we tell ourselves that we could just give ourselves like five or 10 minutes to just like be however we want to be. It often passes, Mm -hmm. you know, and we're in a much more clear state of mind to talk about it in a way that's more productive or, you know, just, yeah, it just doesn't have the same like level of impact. I'm not saying that it's just going to go away, of course, depending on the severity of it, but it's about changing our physiology so we can have a bit of a more of a clearer mind that clarity I think can really yeah really serve us yeah I love the you know that idea of touch I mean especially when you're in the the height of it I know for me some learning how you know when you put your hand over your chest it simulates being given a hug that was huge for me because being hugged by my mom was oftentimes a a soothing thing that I do but when you you know you don't live with your mom anymore or you're at work or something you can't exactly go and ask your boss for a hug so it's nice to know that you can you can do that for yourself and I particularly like that you touched on like sitting with those um Mm those sensations in the body, but not putting judgment on them. Because I think for a lot of us, it's really easy to be like, oh my gosh, my palms are sweating. Oh, I'm anxious. And then it it sort of 
um, mm-hmm. sends you down a spiral, right? Or, oh, you notice I'm breathing quickly. Oh, I must be feeling some type of way. And instead just really sitting with it without judgment mm-hmm. and allowing it to pass. I think that's huge. I'm really glad you mentioned that. Mm-hmm. And so this reminds me of something because I've been listening a lot to your podcast. So for anybody listening, you should definitely check out Manisha's podcast. It's the Transform Your Relationship podcast. And I listened to a lot of the episodes, but one of the ones that I really loved was where you were talking about this idea of creating an inner spaciousness. And I know that when we often think about spaciousness, we think about like in our external world, right? Like decluttering our home, lightening our workload, lightening the schedule. But I love how you talk about this idea of really cultivating that inner spaciousness. So can you explain a little bit more what you mean by this idea of inner spaciousness? And then of course, everyone can go and listen to that episode if you want to hear more. Uh, Well, thank you so much, first of all, for listening. I so appreciate that. Um, And I don't exactly what I recall specifically in that episode. So I'll just kind of uh, describe like really what I what I mean by that. And I, gosh, there's just so much. I, I think that our society moves so quickly and moving slowly is so frowned upon in so many circles, especially when you and it almost kind of doesn't make sense to our brains when we do identify as being ambitious because it, it feels like, well, the opposite, like, well, how can I slow down and still be ambitious? It doesn't really make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I think about an inner spaciousness, it's like really cultivating that space within ourselves to, as you said before, respond instead of react. And when we can slow down enough to start to notice some of these sensations that are happening in our body. Um, And we can kind of really slow down all of our reactions. That in itself is creating space. Um, I, I do a lot of my own somatic work. And so, for example, if I am frustrated with something or something's going on, and I notice that it's really, you know, taking a lot of my mental space, And I kind of sit with, okay, this happened, or I said this, or this person said this. And I just really, and I like maybe lay down or I'm just sitting still and I can kind of feel all these sensations. Like I can almost start to feel them heighten as I make, you have all these stories in my mind. And as, as those calm down, I can feel the sensations almost start to like shift and leave my body. And that to me also feels like cultivating this inner space because our thoughts can take up so much bandwidth and not only the thoughts but then all the stories that we create around the thoughts and I mean it can go on and on and it can really wind us up and so when we can slow down kind of let some of that like move through us I don't want to say let it go because I I have a whole other ideas about like where it really takes to like truly let something go but I think when we can let it move through us, then we're we're really creating like this uh, this more sense of inner spaciousness, just to think more clearly, to have more white space. You know, like even when I mentioned before, like if you can go on a walk and not listen to something, or I mean, as much I'm podcast junkie, I always am listening to something, but I really do. Every so often when I go out to my local park, I'm like, I'm not listening to anything because I I just want some space for my thoughts to move around and some of this extra energy to dissipate and 
Yeah. Mm, yeah. And I love this idea of thinking about it as space, because I think like, as you said, for, for ambitious people, it can be kind of hard to like, what do you mean? Like, I'm in this hustle thing. I need to keep doing and doing, or I'm not going to get to where I want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we can create this space, it actually opens up more of a flow for creativity and for, mm-hmm. for real creation, instead of just like running on a hamster wheel, thinking that you're doing, and then, you know, not really actually getting anywhere. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I really love that. And something else that I know you, you talk quite a lot about is, is that idea of self-care. And I think mm-hmm. that self-care can help us with creating that spaciousness, but oftentimes it can feel a little bit selfish, right? So how do you help your clients to create more consistency in their self-care routine? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it when we can really connect in with the benefits that it offers us, it helps us stay consistent. And when I say consistent, it doesn't have to mean like the same thing every day or at the same time in the same way, because I think that can also feel like rigid for some people. Some people love that and that's great and routine works. And for other people, it feels like they're locked into something and they don't necessarily want to do that. But when we have a set of say three to five practices that we know like help us to regulate our nervous system and like discharge some of that excess energy and we feel, you know, lighter and we notice, oh, I don't take things as personally when I like get out on my run in the morning or, you know, I, I just have like more of a buffer. I think it's the, the important thing is connecting the self-care to how it's affecting other parts of your life. Like I can show up better. I can actually focus better. I have better conversations. Things don't bother me as much there. The benefits are really endless. And so it, it really changes the whole mindset of like, well, how could it be selfish if it's like allowing me to live this much more productive life? I'm happier. I'm able to be there for people in a way that feels good, you know? So, I mean, habits can be tricky to stick with, but I think when we a- attach them and associate them with something bigger, you know, we, we can at least commit to, okay, I don't know exactly what I'm going to do every day. It's not going to be the same thing, but, uh, but I'm going to do something every day you know, and then. Right. Right. And attaching value to it, right. So that you actually go and prioritize that thing instead of each time you go to do it almost, you know, in the back of your head, hating on yourself or rushing through the Mm -hmm. thing or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. This is a quick example. You know, I, I am definitely like a recovering people pleaser. And if some, sometimes still, when I have to say no, I'm like, Oh, I really don't want to, but But I think about, well, how am I going to feel if I say yes? And if I know I'm going to feel really frazzled and kind of irritated and maybe take it out on the person I said yes to, or, you know, I'm like, no, I don't want any of those things. It's actually better for everybody involved. If I say like, Hey, I can't do this now, but maybe I can help you tomorrow or whatever the story is, you know, because if we don't think through those consequences, we end up saying yes, but we end up like feeling depleted and, and it really can take a toll on our relationships over time, you know, builds up so much resentment. For sure. Because you can feel like you're always give, give, giving and and never giving that time back to yourself or receiving that time for yourself. Yeah. Um, and, and, I know you said something there about it can be, you know, difficult still to, to implement mm-hmm. it. And I think especially for ambitious people and 
um, in their line of work or in their career, they want to, to do their best in it. And maybe they have that value of like, I know a quote that I grew up hearing was like the, I think if you do more than you get paid to do, eventually you'll get paid more for what you do. So it's always like, do more, right. Show up in every way you can say yes, do all the things. So how would you recommend somebody who is like a high achiever in like a high performing role to set those boundaries in their workspace? Um, I think the first thing I would invite someone to do if they were, you know, struggling with this, I would ask them to start to really pay attention to how they feel every time they say yes to something on the other side of saying yes, because it's okay to say yes, right? Like setting, you know, being good at setting boundaries doesn't mean saying no to everything. Like that doesn't, that doesn't make sense. So there are going to be certain things that you're going to feel really good about saying yes to. And then other things you're going to realize like, yeah, maybe that wasn't like such a great idea. So if you don't like know where that line is for yourself, it's, it's kind of hard to implement the boundaries as well. So first of all, it's get a baseline, you know, start to notice how you're feeling after certain events, or, or maybe it's certain people feel really good to say yes to and other people don't, because maybe you have a really good reciprocal relationship with certain people with other people, you feel like, oh, maybe they're, you're giving more than you're receiving, right? Or maybe it's certain situations. So, you know, it, it kind of gives that, an, that part of our brain that loves to analyze like something to do, but I think it can be actually a very useful thing to observe about ourselves because once we do that, we can start to, to notice like this depletes my energy, but this doesn't, then I can get curious about like, oh, I wonder what, why that is, what's going on there? Is there something I can do to change that? Can I ask for more balance? Can I, do I need to maybe remove myself from this? Cause it's like really not good for my energy or my mental health or, you know, you, it's so nuanced. So mm -hmm. but I would say, yeah, get that baseline first and, and get some like data around it, you know, and then you can start to decide like how you want to move forward in different situations. Mm -hmm. And really just seeing how it feels for you. Because mm -hmm. like you said, this is probably going to look different for everybody and, and depending on what you and your nervous system can handle. So I think that's a really important piece there. And so from your podcast, I know you have like quite a few episodes now. What would you say is like, is there any episode rather that comes to mind as like maybe one of your favorite episodes? And if so, what was your biggest takeaway? Mm. Oh, such a good question. Um, I, I, well, I'm going to say recommend two for this particular conversation that we're having now, there's one on, um, like self-care is like a bomb for your nervous system. And I think that would fit in nicely with some of the conversation we've had. So I think I would, you know, if people are interested in this conversation has been interesting, definitely go check that out. Uh, one that I love, but it's a little more nuanced is, uh, called something like what's the energy behind your words. And so that particular one I love because I get into like the energetics of conversations and communication. And often we might say the quote unquote right thing, but we have this energy behind it that maybe isn't the clearest energy or the cleanest energy. And so I have this conversation with the clients almost every single time I'm talking to somebody because you know, they're usually telling me about a conversation or some communication or maybe a miscommunication. And I always ask them, okay, like, well, what did you say? And like, how are you feeling when you said it? And it's like, well, what do you think the other person took away from that? Mm -hmm. Because it's always the energy. 
that people feel. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll just leave it there. It's a little teaser. <laughs> Ooh, I love that. I didn't listen to that one. I did listen okay. to the to the one about self-care as a balm okay. for your nervous system. And I definitely <laughs> recommend that. So I'll be listening to this energetic one after. And I really love how in this podcast, you know, you take the discussion beyond what we typically would think about with relationships about like, you know, like improve your communication, like, I don't know, like increase your forgiveness whatever else mm-hmm. kind of things they talk about mm-hmm. to really intertwining this importance of, of doing the inner work. So why would you say that it's so important to do this inner work, especially as someone who wants to have fulfilling relationships? Yeah, I, I have found that per, so personally in my own experience, I have found that when I stopped looking to see what the other person was doing wrong or like in what ways they were not meeting my expectations and started looking at some of my own patterns and maybe what I was contributing to those relationship dynamics and then learned to you know look at some of those hard things that maybe I was like oh I didn't realize that I was I was doing that or I didn't realize that I was saying yes all the time, but then I was like really mad that someone like didn't do the same thing back for me. Like, let me think about that. So when I started recognizing some of my own patterns and tendencies um, and and healing some of that, that's really when I was able to communicate my needs and relationships and really have much more productive conversations. And I just felt so much better and so much lighter. So I, I really think that so often our tendency is to want to look at what somebody else is doing or not doing or how they're meeting or not meeting our needs. But when we have needs that had have been unmet for us from childhood or or different experiences or different traumas, that if that is left unresolved or unacknowledged or not healed in some way, we will expect our partners or our friends or other people to fulfill these needs for us. And it just never goes well. <laughs> you know, it's just, it always ends up in these conversations where, you know, one person maybe feels needy and the other person just feels like they can't do enough to support that person. And so when you're in this dynamic of like one person always thinking the other person's not doing enough and the other person always feeling bad and feeling like I'm never going to satisfy this person, like that is, 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 you know, just a recipe for relationship challenges. But when we can start to do that in our work and, and recognize like what needs were not met for me as a child, you know, not maybe on purpose, like, you know, lots of things happen that are definitely unintentional. Um, I've shared in the past, like my father passed away when I was a kid. And so that was a pretty, you know, big trauma. And so there were definitely like these places where, you know, I had to work on healing abandonment issues because you lose a parent as a child. Like, of course, you're going to feel abandoned when you don't understand that. So, you know, when I could do that for myself, that's when I was not expecting somebody else in a relationship for me to like pledge that they would never leave me. Right. Or because I didn't meet, like I, maybe that's the way I was coming off before, but once Mm -hmm. you realize that and really do your inner work, you can feel secure in yourself and then recognize that like somebody's behavior and actions are about them and they're not a reflection of me. And so I don't have to like live with these 
spheres that are really not about other people. And so there it's just there's just so much. Like um I love this question. I so appreciate you asking, but it's so layered and so deep and and um yeah. So. Yeah, for sure. And that's why you created a whole podcast on it, right? So I, I think that was really beautifully put. And I think a lot of it comes down to like, I guess in the in the words of RuPaul, like if you can't love yourself, you can't love someone else. Or if you can't connect with yourself, it's difficult to connect with someone else. If you can't hold space for yourself, it's difficult to hold space for someone else. And so I love that you're really um, connecting the dots here between like transforming your inner world and, and transforming your relationships as a result. So that's really beautiful. And um, this has been an amazing conversation, but I have one last question for you just to wrap it up here. So what would you say is the number one piece of advice that you would give to somebody who is anxious and ambitious? Mm -hmm. So we kind of touched on this already a little bit, but I would really say like, do not be afraid to slow down. And the, the reason I say that is because one as I mentioned before, when we're ambitious, sometimes slowing down doesn't even occur to us. It's like not really on our radar. So there's one. And two, I really feel like when we are feeling anxious about something, it's there's a message there for us about something feeling unsettled or something feeling not quite right. And so if we keep speeding up and trying to push through it, we're really never going to discover the message that our body is trying to give us. And as we slow down and start to do some of that inner processing, we get to really touch in with, oh, wow, this is like part of the root of my anxiety, you know? And, you know, I, I think that there's the, the messages our body can give us to help us support that, you know, and people can definitely do like other uh, medical interventions and, and whatever is supported by like their doctors and stuff. But I really feel like there is such a, a an opportunity to receive a message from our body when we're feeling anxious and and when we don't slow down we can't hear what that is mm, yeah to just slow down i think that's something all of us need to hear you know especially if you're ambitious you're often fastly moving towards the future and then combined with that anxiousness of like the uncertainty and worry about the future can mm-hmm. often lead us to feel like oh my gosh it's exhausting you're on this roller coaster so I think you're so right. That idea of um, slowing down and then mm-hmm. almost using that slowness to to go within and, and really reconnect with yourself. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah. So where can our listeners connect further with you, Manisha? Yeah. So I would love to invite people to listen to the podcast. It's called the Transform Your Relationship Podcast and it's available on all the platforms. So that's a great place to, to learn more and to hear more conversations like this. So Beautiful. And I will be sure to link that as well as all of Manisha's social media in the, in the show descriptions so that you can connect with her across all of the platforms. So yeah, thank you so much for joining me today, Manisha. Yeah. Thank you. This is such a great conversation. I appreciate it so much. Yeah. So good. Thank you. I hope that you enjoyed listening to today's episode. I loved this conversation with Manisha, and I know that I had a lot of takeaways personally. So if you had any takeaways, I would love to hear them. Please reach out to me on Instagram or on Facebook. It really means the world to me. And if you haven't already, please make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss out on any future episodes. I have so many amazing guests lined up that I am really excited 
excited to share with you, as well as a lot of um, solo episodes that will be coming out over the next few weeks. So stay tuned for that, and we'll see you the next time.